This is the Down ACM Podcast. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to be hearing from Matt Sickett today. He's going to be giving us a talk about neuroimaging. And before you shut your brain off, I know sometimes this can seem a bit nerdy, but I think this is becoming increasingly important for us in the emergency department as we're really reliant on time metrics and getting our patients treatment early, especially for stroke. And he's going to be giving us some pearls on some non-traditional things we don't typically think of to detect early stroke and also to have prognostic indication uh, how well this patient will, will favor. And then specifically, how well they'll favor with endovascular intervention. There's some things that we can understand at a basic level for our CTA, CT perfusion studies that can really help improve our time metrics for, for treatment. Take it away, Matt. Uh, all right, so I just want to say thanks to Jeff and Sarah for having me back this year. My name is Matt Sickett. Um, we're going to talk about something different this year. We just got 10 minutes, and I wanted to talk a little bit about neuroimaging. I think it's good that it's 10 minutes because we can only kind of do nerdy, deep dives, neuro stuff in small doses, and it's still too early for something too deep. So um, let's just kind of rip through a little bit of the neuroimaging and some of the advanced imaging modalities that maybe we're getting in- asked with increasing frequency to obtain in the emergency department. So we're going to talk a little bit about CT scan, and we're going to talk about CTA, and then we're going to talk about perfusion studies, Um, but just by show of hands, who gets perfusion studies in the emergency department? Okay, about half, maybe a third. How about CT angiogram? Just about everybody now. Okay. Uh, MRI? For stroke and for, yeah, okay. All right, and so the last, lastly, we'll talk a little bit about MRI. Um, We're not going to have time to talk about the spine today, Um, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about CT. I really want to kind of harness our inner inner neurologists and talk a little bit about things that we're less familiar with and uh, and why, what the indications are, why we're being asked to do it, uh, what they're uh, good for, and what their limitations are. One thing I'm not going to spend a lot of time on is CT, and partly uh, because I'm super intimidated talking about how to read a CT scan in this room, seeing that the person who taught me how to read a CT scan is in this room. Dr. Sickett is actually talking about Dr. Perrin, who has a great mnemonic, blood can be very bad. It's a great way for the emergency physician to be able to recognize acute emergencies on the head CT. Take a look at it. We have a blog post, and we'll put a link to that in our show notes. We'll talk a little bit about other things to look for, or maybe things that um, uh, we're being uh, told to look for that we're less comfortable with. So just to recap, this is blood can be very bad. This is what Andy talks about. Just remember to have a systematic approach when you look at a CT scan. Look at the look for blood in all the right places. Look at the cisterns. Uh, look at the brain tissue itself or early ischemic changes uh, for signs of edema or mass. Look at the ventricles. Uh, make sure to do it systematically. And lastly, you know, look at the bones. Um, but what else can we look for uh, with a non-contrast CT scan? So does anybody hear an aspect score getting reported out when in a code stroke situation, or is anybody being asked to do an aspect score? No, okay. And I think that's largely because we're all, we've all moved on to vascular imaging in our acute stroke patients, but uh, we should all at least know what the aspect score is. So the aspect score stands for the Alberta Stroke Program Early CT Score. But the aspect score, it's a simple non-contrast uh, score, 1 to 10, 0 to 10, I believe, that grades early ischemic changes, looking for hypodensities in the anterior circulation in evolving stroke. And unlike the stroke scale, uh, where a high number is bad, the aspect score, a high number is good. Um, so if you see in a radiology report the aspect score getting reported out, an aspect score of 10 is really good, that means this patient's likely has a favorable pat- imaging pattern, might be a candidate for reperfusion therapies. If it's, if it's all high 
hypodensity, you know, on one side, that's going to be scored really low. And you'll see in the literature that we've sort of decreased the favorable score. So it used to be that no one would go and do an embolectomy in somebody with an aspect score less than seven, and they started to dial that back to like five. And now I think we're down to four. A lot of places will do an it would do you know um, endovascular intervention for large vessel occlusions with fairly moderate to low aspect score, and that's been evolution in the past few years. Another thing to consider is uh, hematoma volume. Now, I don't think this is really going to change your management per se. It might make you sound a little smarter when you're talking to the consultants, and it does have some prognostic implications. So um, if you do see a, a hemorrhage, uh, if you have you know nine seconds, that's all it takes, you're going to want to... Um, you're going to want to measure the hematoma in its greatest uh, slice, axial slice, in two dimensions. Uh, multiply those two numbers together, then multiply that by the number of slices you see it on um, in centimeters. So usually they're five millimeter cuts, so divide that by two, and then divide the whole number by two to approximate the volume of an ellipsoid, and there you've got a hematoma volume. So the reason that that's important is uh, that volumes less, uh, less than 30 cc's tend to have a good prognosis compared to volumes greater than 30 cc's, and it's in what's called the ICH score, which is a score that comprehensive stroke centers are required to report in their hemorrhage patients. So you may be asked to, to calculate a volume or calculate a score, at least just know how to do it. The last thing is a dense vessel sign, but this could really uh, save your butt from time to time. This uh, this here was a patient with a, a basilar occlusion, came in locked in, and we missed this, but this patient had a dense, a hyperdense basilar sign, so there's just a, you know, a bright thromb thrombosed uh, basilar artery there, and we just kind of, radiologists read it as normal, we looked at it, we thought it was normal, we missed that, and it wasn't until much later that we realized the patient had a, a basilar occlusion. But you can see it really in any of the proximal vessels, so just, you know, getting that pattern recognition of looking for it. So here's a couple more uh, dense vessel signs. Um, here you can see a hyperdense MCA, and here's another uh, hyperdense basilar occlusion. So just something to, to familiarize, familiarize yourself with. So moving on to CTA, um, this is good. I think it's good that just about everybody raised their hands. They're um, using CTA increasingly in, uh, in the emergency department for stroke patients. You, know, you want to use it if you suspect a dissection, if there's you know, concern for vasculitis, vasospasm, RCVS, something like that. Uh, but in stroke, I feel like this was the last vascular emergency to get vascular imaging. I mean, if it was an ischemic leg or a pulmonary embolism, we were imaging the vessels you know, for a long time, but it wasn't until recently that we really started imaging the vessels in stroke. Um, so I think it's good that we, that we do that now. Just remember, you're kind of tracking uh, the middle cerebral artery the proximal MCA and the M1, and then it kind of branches into the superior and inferior M2. And most large vessel occlusions can be retrieved out to the sort of mid to distal M2, um, not really the M3, but that's kind of the, the, the where you're looking for a, a large vessel occlusion. And this is a good example of somebody with a right MCA occlusion. You can see that abrupt cutoff. It's also somewhat useful in hemorrhage. It doesn't really change management so much, but they're exploring spot signs and hemorrhages to see if it uh, predicts um, if it predicts uh, hematoma expansion. And maybe these are patients that are uh, more amenable to uh, early, early or more aggressive reversal agents. CTA can be single phase or multi-phase, and if it's a multi-phase CTA, you're getting an early arterial phase, a late arterial phase, and a venous phase. So it's three separate runs uh, through the brain, so it's a little bit more radiation, but actually, for some reason, it doesn't seem to add up as like, 
you know, sequential millisieverts, I guess the total dose is just a little bit higher than a single phase CTA. Um, so you should just know at your institution if it's a single phase or a multi-phase. I would say that multi-phase seems to help uh, less experienced radiologists pick up uh, large vessel occlusion, looking for delayed flow and things that are less clear. Um, and in total, a multi-phase CTA allows you to score the collateral circulation. Some neurointerventionalists seem to favor this over a single phase. And uh, in, on the whole, it's less radiation and less contrast than a perfusion study. So I'll talk just briefly about perfusion. I think about a third of the room raised their hands for perfusion. So I've, I've just switched from an institution that did multi-phase CTA to an institution that down, now does CT perfusion. So I'm learning more about this. Um, I, I think it is good. It's kind of, it uses AI and, you know, uh, very sophisticated algorithms to make pretty colors and makes it sort of easy to interpret. But what we're looking for here is uh, cerebral blood volume and blood flow and the time it takes to perfuse tissue. And so essentially, bottom line, if you've got increased blood volume but decreased blood flow, that's a pretty favorable imaging pattern. That suggests that this patient has ischemic, oligemic, hypoperfused tissue, but not completed, infarcted, non-perfused tissue, if that makes sense. So you're taking a ratio of the penumbral you know, tissue at risk compared to the infarct core, and this is what they're using uh, in most places to determine who is a candidate for intervention. Um, and we're using this as a surrogate to time now. So for those since any, everybody progresses at a different rate, doesn't necessarily mean that a hard six-hour stop needs to be the case. And there's been two studies, one at 16 hours and one at 24 hours, um, using imaging instead of uh, time uh, to, to um, determine who is a candidate for intervention. They're both, you know, clearly positive studies. So the diffuse three trial used just this a ratio of blood flow to blood volume and perfusion studies and found it was, it was overwhelmingly positive. Um, so something that we'll see more and more of. In the last minute, I'll talk a little bit about MRI. This is the diffusion-weighted imaging sequence. Probably everybody's pretty familiar with this in stroke. It's, I think it's great. You're just looking for the bright white area. That's the, that's the evolving stroke. That's cytotoxic edema formation. That's very early on in the stroke process when the sodium-potassium ATPase shuts down, water goes into the cell, there's very little flow, and you're seeing bright white on, on uh, DWI. So this is that basal artery occlusion I told you about. So this is his MRI. So you see the brainstem is completely white. So he's got an evolving stroke in the brainstem. But in the apparent diffu diffusion coefficient sequence, this is like a calculated sequence from the DWI. If it's bright on DWI but dark on ADC, that's a true stroke. Something that's bright and bright is a mimic. And then lastly, after about three hours or so, you'll start to see what's called flare change. So this is the T2 flare sequence, and this evolves more slowly. This is more scar, more edema, and this evolves more slowly. So those are, those are your money sequences for MRI and stroke, DWI, ADC, and flare. And then lastly, the GRE or the SWI sequence, these are two other sequences that you'll see in a quick hyperacute stroke MRI, this is your blood sequence. So GRE looks for hemorrhage, hemorrhage appears dark. So here you can see just like little spots of black. Those are micro hemorrhages in somebody with cerebral amyloid angiopathy. Same here, this is the susceptibility weighted imaging sequence. 
black spots, blood. So four sequences in a non-con MRI, DWI, flare, ADC, and then either GRE or SWI. That takes about six to ten minutes to do, so it's not a long study. Lastly, I'll just say that this is also influencing treatment. The wake-up stroke trial, this was out to 24 hours for patients with a diffusion exam mismatch. So this is an MRI, not a perfusion-based selection study. And this, these patients, if they had a favorable imaging pattern, got TPA, and it was a positive study. So I think we're going to see down the road more and more treatment decisions being used um, based on imaging surrogates to time. So in summary, the world of uh, acute neuroimaging is evolving, especially in stroke. Non-contrast CT is, our, uh, is, is the initial test for most cases. Remember, blood can be very bad. Thank you, Andy. Uh, but CTA is increasingly performed, and it can either be mono or multi-phase, depending on your institution. Perfusion can certainly be helpful, and it's that theory of penumbral tissue. An MRI is the diagnostic gold standard in stroke, and now we're a little bit more comfortable with the sequences. Remember, these are non-gadolinium studies. Anything other than stroke, if we're thinking in inflammation, uh, mass, infection, that then we're thinking about gadolinium. But for stroke, a quick non-con, uh, six-minute MRI is all we need. That's it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Those are some great pearls. Let's do a quick recap. Certainly, while we're going to be relying on our neurologist and radiologist to help definitively read our films there are a few things that we can pick up and, and should be aware of when we're starting to evaluate our patients. So one of them is the ASPECT score, and that stands for the Alberta Stroke Program Early CT Score. Uh, you can look this up on MDCalc, but essentially what it is is it's grading the area of hypodensity that you see in a non-con head CT. And the greater hypodensity, likely the less benefit that they'll get from endovascular intervention. The other one is uh, the... ICH score. And essentially what we're trying to do is calculate the hematoma volume. That's also an MD calc and Matt Seekett has a nice description of how to calculate essentially an ellipsoid uh, a volume. And I think the, the number to remember here is 30 cc's. Patients with less than 30 cc's generally have a good prognosis and patients with greater than 30 cc's of an intracranial hemorrhage have a worse prognosis. The other one is the dense vessel sign. So this is something that you could spot early and can help facilitate intervention for uh, endovascular treatment. So this is basically seeing a, a dense vessel. So typically we think of the MCA sign, but you can certainly see it in the basilar artery in the example that he demonstrated. And essentially that's showing occlusion of a large vessel and that will really need to go to endovascular intervention for best uh, possible outcome. The other thing is looking at CTA. So this is essentially now our, our, our primary modality early to look for a large vessel occlusion. And what we're really trying to do is, is see which candidates are best for getting endovascular intervention. These are larger clots are best taken out via endovascular intervention if they have good prognostic factors seen on the CTA and CT perfusion. And what we're looking for in that CT perfusion that's typically done after a large vessel stroke is seen and large vessel occlusion is seen is we're trying to see what the imaging pattern is. Is there a favorable penumbra? Is there an amount of uh, ischemic tissue around a potential infarct core that can still be salvageable? And our neurointerventionalists and radiologists will look at this ratio of 
ischemia to infarct core to decide which patients are the best candidates for endovascular intervention. Lastly, we're looking at MR, and this is still the gold standard for diagnosing stroke. And as we talked about with CTA and CT perfusion, MR is starting to creep in and, and be, in some ways, a surrogate for the traditional time metrics to decide on treatment. Okay, that's all for the Down DM podcast for now. Please put your comments and questions in the comments section. If you like what you hear and you want to follow us for more, find us on iTunes or through your RSS feed or your favorite podcast app on your smartphone. Thanks for listening.